Welcome to Destination Change, a podcast where we talk recovery, treatment, and more. I'm your host, Angie Fiedler-Sutton, with the National Behavioral Health Association of Providers. Today's guest is Tom Carl. Tom is the founder and chief executive officer of R1 Learning. Through R1, Tom's goal is to put impactful self-discovery tools into the hands of individuals in recovery and empower them to change their lives. Tom is a graduate of Duke University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Economics. Tom currently volunteers on the Patient and Family Engagement Advisory Council at Innova Healthcare System in Virginia. He is actively in the recovery community, is a founding member of Recovery DC, and volunteers with patient engagement programs. Thank you very much for joining us today, Tom. Thank you, Angie. I am so grateful to be here with you today. So, yeah. (laughs) For those of you who are familiar with my podcast, you know what my first question is going to be. It's always the same question. Basically, talk about how you got into the recovery space in the first place and how that got you to where you are now. Yeah, Angie, that's such a great question to open up with all your guests. So my journey, it's not important, but, you know, the one thing I like over, you know, kind of like the little bio is is becoming more and more important today as I'm further into the behavioral health community in the industry, which is I come out of, of my story starts in really workforce development, working in mostly Fortune 1000 companies around how do you hold on to your talent? You know, how do you, you know, engage them, grow them? help them really with their own self-discovery around who they are. And then really working with supervisors and leaders and organizations around the country, around the world, around how do you hold on to your talent? And and, and it really always started from, do you know them? Because you can't hold on to them unless you really know what they bring to the party. So so that that's part of my where my journey started. It started where I had some experience in that field for about 20 years, right? Part of a company, uh, taking the learning and development solutions around the world, internationally. And and in that, flying around to a lot of places and, and over time, my drinking increased, right? And so I would find myself in my mid-40s, you know, getting on an airplane, going to corporate headquarters around the country and either on a train or a plane or through an automobile, mostly on a train or a plane, <laughs> and I would be drinking. You know, I'd find myself leaving the house, drinking more on the train, getting to where I was going, um, it progressed further, staying out evenings and in, in bars and, and drinking more and more, and then trying to be super productive and doing really well for my organization, but it was doing a toll on me. So that was really where the journey started. And then it threw me into, right? Threw me into over time, all levels of ASAM levels of care. I found myself detox programs, trying to figure this thing out. 2011 was when I first went to my first detox over to Nova Health System, actually. We're actually over at... Um, Virginia Hospital Center in Arlington. And that made it through a path of not only trying to to work on my substance use, but my health had deteriorated significantly to the point of in 2014, I had to have triple bypass open heart surgery because, you know, of my drinking. You know, it was really affecting me physically, mentally. And so it was just a mess. You know, so it, it did. It threw me into spaces. And so between 2000, really 2000. 11, 12, it was really 2012. Um, I went, ended up uh, stopping and starting, right? Hey, I, was, I was really doing well. I got nine months of sobriety out of the gate in my first IOP. I found myself in a binge pattern where I would go for you know weeks and then months uh, without drinking. And then I would have a, you know, a binge pattern of drinking for a couple of days. And so I couldn't shake it. I ended up going to a residential treatment program for 45 days in Arizona in 2014. Came out of that with the heart surgery. And there I was lost. I, I ended up 
beautifully, my company got purchased by an international company called um, Hideco out of Europe. Uh, that was a good thing, but I wasn't really ready to be part of that leadership team. And so I, I, I left that organization because of the substance use, because of my, my drinking and the pattern that I had, uh, had built. And then I, I kind of floundered for about a year, ended up back in treatment. And then it was, you know, like, like many of us that are in this journey, right? I was like, what am I going to do? What am I doing? And so, you know, I had been, I had had an experience in my, my own treatment, which was around through my other experience, right? In learning and development is where are all the engagement tools? I saw people leaving my settings. They come in for a couple of days and they were gone. They weren't engaged. You know, the, the curriculum was not engaging at all. And so it was like it planted this little seed with me around, huh, what's that about, right? And so in 2000, really it was the beginning of 2016, I went to my last detox at Anova Health System this time and came out of that and was like, okay, I had a deck of cards on my desk from our other world. We, we actually had a, a career interest assessment in the forms of a, a little tool called Talent Sort. What do I like to do and what does that look like in terms of my job opportunities? And and then there it was in front of me was ha huh, that engagement. It was the most it was the most engaging tool in our suite of products. We brought it online uh, back in the you know a, a decade earlier where you know hey if I'm a Capital One or any of these Fortune 1000 companies you might be able to go online do a little a little card sort and then look at all my job opportunities within the organization. So I had had a little experience with some fun tools and. And I was like, huh, imagine if I take that self-discovery tool and go find those beautiful evidence-based models and behavioral health that I've been, been kind of playing with in my own treatment and, and kind of put it on steroids. And that was the beginning of the journey in 2017. Well, that leads actually into the, you know, the perfect into the next question in terms of, you know, one of the things we often we talk about on this podcast is, you know, resources that we use on a regular basis. You obviously have our one learning has created a resource. So you talked a little bit about the engagement, talk a little bit for those who may not be familiar with our one learning and what you do there, kind of your elevator pitch and kind of what the the cards do. Thank you, Angie. Yeah. So our one learning at its core is we're an education company. You know, we were about engagement. We focus on topics in mental health, substance use and addiction, and life skills. So, kind of three buckets. And what we've done is we we've built a really kind of a card based system around all the evidence based models and theories in those buckets. So I went out and found, hey, let's go find stages of change. Let's go find topics like recovery capital. Let's go find things around uh, the DSM and substance use disorder, and and let's package them in card decks. So that instead of you know me sitting in a in a room and listening to a counselor or a practitioner teach me about a topic, let's not do that. Let's just dive into it. Let's see where I am in it, and let's do a little self discovery activity uh, using these cards. And so they're all organized by models. I get to do self discovery. The beautiful thing about cards are they hit all five learning styles. You know, they're kinesthetic, they're my hands, you know, they're beautiful. We've made them really beautiful with colors. And so the models are color coded. It's simple vocabulary. You know, we're hitting logical learners and asking them to pick and choose, right? So it's, it's fun. It's engaging. It's activity based. And so we've been building tools around that, which we use for a couple of things. And I'll, I'll, I'll just keep this a, a little briefer on is we do it for workforce training. Hey, Let's help some of the peer support providers. Let's help counselors revisit some of those topics. 
So we use it as more refresher sometimes on, on these models and theories. And then they immediately get to go, okay, that was helpful. Let me go take that now into the room or to a one-on-one and let me use it actually as part of an engagement with folks that are in service. So we've actually then turned it into engagement. And now that it's online, it's in data generation uh, using our one Discover platform. And so it's a learning system. So at the, at the core, we are an education company out there across the country. You talked briefly about the stages of change. Talk a little bit more about what that means and what those are. And, and we brought that up on other podcasts as well. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been looking for are wonderful models, right? And and when I first started R1, I, I was directed to and say, hey, Tom, if you're going to do this thing, you need to go find the thought leaders, right? And so some of them were Gorski on relapse prevention, Dr. David Best on recovery capital. There's a number of them out there. Hey, even like the DSM out of the uh, American Psychiatric Association. So stage of change was pointed out to us as, hey, all, all in all behavioral health, it's a model that's used to help people look at you know where they are in a change process. Actually, it's really been, it was a clinical tool to help clinicians, practitioners assess people in treatment to say, hey, where are they in terms of change? You know, and there's a model that says they're in five stages of change. One is pre-contemplation. Hey, I don't even know I have a problem. Two is contemplation. Huh, I might have a problem. I'm not really sure, <laughs> but I kind of might, you know, so it's, it's that kind of uh, that first toe into the water on change. And then people move into preparation, into action, and then eventually they move through maintenance. So the view, the listeners here have probably somewhere in their lives read some behavior gone through a change process that followed that pattern. And so, you know, we we got a chance to, I got a chance to, uh, and it was critical to R1 that the founders of that model met with me. I had an opportunity to meet with Dr. Prashaska and Dr. DiClemente. They gave me some guidance. Um, we have a card deck. Uh, one of our topics is around that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it's really helping the clinicians really assess people to where they are. And now we've turned it into a self-discovery tool so that individuals can say, well, where am I? Where do I think I am? And it's just a, it's, it's really a wonderful process model. Well, that leads into the idea of, you know, recovery as a journey. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. What are some of the barriers that you've run across that people have to be able to move forward in terms of their recovery? That is a big question. <laughs> it's a beautiful question, Angie. You know, I, I, um, I think there's a hundred, a thousand different answers for that because it's an individualized journey. That's, uh, I think that's one of the things that we're trying to, to share here with the learning system is, you know, my journey looks different than your journey, you know, and there's all these little components to it. And, and we all have different circumstances and situations from our backgrounds either culturally or uh, from a mental health perspective. So all sorts of barriers around co-occurring disorders, you know, anxiety, depression, cultural barriers around, hey, you know, so much stigma that I can't even go get help given my community. So lots of different kinds of barriers out there. One of the constructs that I've really loved from the get-go has been recovery capital. I saw it early on. I was looking for an umbrella topic that said, hey, how do all these little modules that we're de- developing fit into some bigger kind of system? And Recovery Capo became a wonderful construct that, because it helps people look at, you know, what are my barriers? What are my unmet needs around my own recovery journey? But then it also takes a strength-based approach and says, hey, how, you know, what are those things that I'm doing that are being helpful for me and helps me see those strengths 
in a way that I can kind of build them over time. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. My next question was going to be about recovery capital. So you did exactly where I was going. <laughs> um, oh. Talk a little bit more about recovery capital and what, you know, for those who might be new to the podcast, what that means and what that means to you and kind of a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out at this moment to a couple of people. One being somebody that we both know, um, Pete Nielsen at CCAP and NBHAP, right? who I I met at the very beginning of the R1 journey. And he has been a mentor and an advocate for my company since the get-go. And he has also been a strong advocate of recovery capital. So we, I found an early friend along that path with him. I also found a gentleman in DC. His name is Larry Gordain. He's with the Universal Health Services Hospital in the city, uh, the Psychiatric Institute of Washington. And he also has been a, a big fan of that. And actually, both encouraged me to map it all to the social determinants of health. So we built a topic around it. Working with Dr. David Best in the UK, who's the international expert on recovery capital, with really with some Pete guidance from Pete and Larry Gordine, and then working directly with Dr. Best. You know, I, I've just uh, seen it as just it's really that whole concept around my really my my well being, my health and well being. Uh, certainly with a recovery focused in 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 one way. But it's really a bigger picture of, of really on wellness. And so it's become a, a key construct. What I love about it, and I think that the industry is starting to see, is that it has a measurement component, the recovery capital assessment. Uh, there's an assessment with Dr. Best called the RECAP assessment that's being used by Get Help uh, and the folks out there, mostly a lot in the recovery housing community. Uh, we've developed a, a measurement tool called the RCS 36 that we're launching in 2000. 24. And so there's a measurement component. What I think some of the people love about what we're doing is, is okay, I've, I've, I've measured and learned something about where I am for measurement outcomes, but what do I do to build? What do I build? What do I do next? And so we've taken the, the, the R1 tools to help me do self-exploration so that I can really build a, a personal recovery plan for myself. So I love the construct. I think it has just so much applicability in terms of outcomes measurement but also around it makes sense for people when you really show it to people. Uh, and if you, if the, for the listeners that have not dove into it, it just makes sense. I've had so many people come up to me and said, I wasn't really sure how I was doing on my journey, but I saw some of the elements of the of recovery capital. I was like, I have been building stuff. I do have strengths and I can build on the leverage of those. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the cards themselves. You have multiple different types of decks, correct? Yeah, different topics. Different topics. Walk me through kind of what the different topics are and, and like if if I were to, if I had the set of cards, kind of how they work. This is way too much fun when you, you <laughs> get into the cards. So again, back to the topics of mental health, substance use and life skills. So what does that mean? So in, in, in mental health right now, we have things around, you know, emotions and feelings, really emotional well-being around, you know, am I building good boundaries? you know, the concepts around defense mechanisms. And so some of the psychology around mental health, right? We have them topics on substance use and addiction, right? Hey, really substance use, um, relapse prevention, topics on what is substance use in the first place. Hey, what's addiction? Using the Jelna curve and the phases of addiction model. And so all model-based. And then we, and then recovery is on a long-term continuum. So if you don't throw life skills in there, then then we can't continue on our journey. So you know, things around career interests and what are my values and 
you know, and so all those kinds of topics around work and spirituality and, you know, just other things around life skills. And so it's really kind of a three bucket. And then the whole idea again is learn something about me, you know? So a good example is our values deck. So, Hey, one of the things we've learned psychologically, and I'm not a clinician, but I've dove into the, to the psychology of all these topics is whenever an individual is going through change, one of the first things we do psychologically is we, we, we need some bearings. So we look outside of ourselves for standards and we find them in the form of values. So when anybody's going through change, they came out with me earlier around, hey, our organization, our company is going through change. We're downsizing, we're resizing. And so the first thing that we would always coach people to do is, well, stop. What's important to you today? So the cards actually enable people to go, okay, what's important to me in terms of my values? Now imagine I have a deck of cards and you take them out and you mix them up and you go through them and you turn them over. You go, hey, what are my values? And you pick, you make two piles. You say, this one's important to me today. This one's not. And we give people a chance to do that. And then we say, okay, Angie, that's cool. But let's take the pile you said is important to you. And let's go, nope, let's go down to the top 10. Let's make you think a little harder about yourself and what's really important. So we get you to the top 10. And then we say, okay, Angie, one more time. Let's 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 prioritize which one's most important to you, second, third. So we, we, we built some ways to prioritize those. And then we start to get a picture of ourselves. So that's the cards. You know, you can see them kind of, hopefully you got a little visual there of people laying them out on the card, on the table. You can also do that on a tablet. Imagine you can swipe and do the same thing with a tablet and do these cards. So I learned something about myself in terms of the values, but all of these cards live in, in a model. So the way that the cards work is if I turn those cards over, there's color coding that say, hey, and maybe achievement's important to me, maybe health, maybe family. You know, so it, it gives me some other ways to look at the values that I've chosen. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. Looking over your extended bio, you talk about how you're committed to three tenants, keep your recovery first, serve others, and choose to live a healthy and purposeful life. Want to talk a little bit more about how you came across those and, and expand on that? Yeah, obviously the the recovery first, the first one of the tenants was something I learned in my own journey through some of the programs that I, I participate in. One of the things I learned early on was, and I didn't listen to it early on, but it's, it's certainly become important to me today is, is, is to keep my recovery in the number one position. So to keep my own recovery, number one, if I don't keep it at first, you know, everything else that I'm trying to strive for will not happen. So that whole idea really resonated with me when I started the company, which was me sitting down on my desk going, hey, this is card deck. Let me see what I can go do with it. I said, you know, if I'm going to go down this journey and it's going to be a long journey, the one thing I have to remember is to keep my recovery first. So guess what I did? I named the company R1, which was my way of saying to myself, keep your recovery first. So I got a chance to see that every day in front of me. So that is a big tenant for myself. And the truth is, is I have a huge community of people that support me in that. I have family, I have friends, I have community people in the recovery community that, that help me see that that's important. The other two that you mentioned, the wellness piece, doing service, right? Helping other people, you know, all those things are just critical to what I've learned in recovery. And so obviously that is part of the mission of, of, of R1 is to basically, you know, help people see themselves, help them see what's important to them, help them see that they do have choices and they get to pick and choose those choices and start to create their own journey. And so we're, 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 we're committed to that. 
Awesome. Now, if you could travel back in time to when you were first starting your journey, what would be some of the things that you would tell yourself, some of the tips or tricks that, or advice that you'd give yourself? <laughs> oh my gosh, that is a loaded question. He has a wow, you know, and everybody on the call, hopefully listening to this podcast or thinking, I hope they're listening for themselves, how they would answer that question. Because mm -hmm. it really is a wonderful question. You know, I think for myself, as my quick answer is going to be, Tom, be patient. You know, this is not an overnight, this is not a sprint. This is a long-term journey. So, you know, just take your time, you know, just keep your expectations low, uh, go slow and keep going. I didn't do that right away in my journey. I wanted to move fast. I was impatient, right? I have something I believe, uh, I have too technical, but oppositional defiance disorder, <laughs> you know, which means hey, I'll throw up defense mechanisms. I don't want to listen to you. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do it my own way. You know, whew, that's a huge barrier for people on a recovery journey. And I have some of those traits. So I would say to myself, Tom, close your eyes and open your ears and listen. Be open to listening to other people. Don't don't put up the defenses and and, and let some of that in. Awesome. To continue the theme in terms of advice and whatnot, someone going through recovery themselves, what's one of the things that you would you know, tell them in terms of recovery capital or in terms of your decks that you have advice in terms of how to keep going to not give up? Yeah. Some of the basic tenets are, are some of the things that I've, I've learned along the path around recovery capital. Even some of the basics around uh, emotional regulation and coping skills, it's, it's some of the basics, which are, you know, connect with other people. Don't do it alone. Be open to gaining a support system around you to, to support you. I, it was a hard part of my own journey was to open up and be transparent and be able to share with other people what was going on with me today. And, and having those one-on-ones with individuals and with groups was was really helpful. Once I did that, it made all the difference. So I would encourage people to connect as much as they can and as soon as they can. And then really um, looking for help, being open to help. I would hopefully say to individuals, you know, your journey is your journey. You know, what you choose and what you do, you know, is different than what I did. There's some common things that we can do. And that's why Recovery Capital is such a beautiful construct is, there are things that we, you know, all do like, hey, we need good sleep and rest. We need to get healthy food. You know, we need to connect. We need to make sure that we have a, a safe place to sleep at night, you know, and so all those things are important. I would just encourage people to, you know, connect, be open, be open to learning about themselves, do that self-exploration, and then really start to move to things that are going to really support them around the basics, you know, just the basics um, as a way to get started. Great. Let's talk a little bit more about your work as the founder of the, the organization and kind of running the organization itself. What would you say is the hardest part of your job? Right now, we're in a kind of a place of it's been a slow journey. R1 has because, you know, think about it. Hey, there's a card deck on my desk and and then taking that concept and building content and, and eventually building interest in it. And so it's been a slow journey to build the, the content, the product line. Uh, bring it online, bring little videos into the, into it so it becomes a really a beautiful little learning system. And then there's a whole component of getting it out there and just getting it socialized. This would be, hey, they know about it, right? That's shifting now to where more people are getting involved. We have more needs for, you know, areas like, hey, so, uh, getting a new website with search engine optimization, SEO going, and we need to 
get more people out there sharing our story and business development. And so there's just more people in the process uh, because of all the things we're, we're doing now. Training, we need more trainers. Hey, we need more people to help with uh, customer service. We need more people to make sure the product gets made. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. It's awesome. And we, we have found beautiful resources and partners along the path, but it's getting to be a lot. So the hardest part for me at the moment is now keeping the vision, right? You got to keep setting the vision about where we're going and where we want to be um, for myself and, and for our small team. Because as we get more people, that's going to be really important. So I'm, I'm trying to get clearer for myself again. What is the vision? Where are we going to apply? Because we're getting pulled, Angie. You know, we, we started out in substance use addiction treatment programs as a, as a place to get our foot in the door, right? But now we're in mental health programs. Now we're in high schools. <laughs> now we're getting pulled onto campuses. We're in the largest, now the largest correctional system in the United States, the, the California CDCR, the Correction Department of Corrections. And so we're, we're working in Indiana with, with returning citizens. So we're in all these new communities that we don't know a lot about. And so we're learning. And so just a lot going. I think the hardest part right now is, is to figure out how we get and bring on the right people at this stage so that we can reach the vision that we're trying to achieve. And then kind of the opposite question in a way, what's your favorite part or what's the part that you enjoy the most? I have, from the beginning of this, and, and people have met me probably see it, and it's certainly part of what the system is about, but one of my personal visions has been to make mental health and wellness and substance use a self-discovery journey. It, it shouldn't be fearful. It shouldn't be scary. It should be beautiful. It should be colorful. I should be in, looking from, curious about it, right? So shifting that mindset and having people learn about themselves and get more excited about who they are again is exciting. I love when I do training and see people turn over the cards or pick the cards or, you know, and they they see something in themselves. They go, huh, it's things that be reaffirming that they already knew or they're seeing some things that they want to explore. And it is one of the best parts of my job. I love the colorfulness of the program, the interactiveness of what we're building I love seeing both the practitioners, the clinicians, the peer support providers that are learning it get excited about doing something that is fun. And they see the fun and, and the engagement in the people they're working with. And it's inspiring. To this day, when I see people using the tool and they look at you and they go, huh, it keeps me motivated. So I love, I love that. Awesome. That is a perfect button. <laughs> Do you have a favorite deck or favorite topic or is that like choosing a favorite child? <laughs> It's such a, you know, I, I get asked that quite a bit. And the truth is, is I have come to love every deck. One of the things I am going to stay close to it as we move faster on the content, um, I'm going to have to play not an all part of the role, but but on a team with the development of the content. But I've, I've gotten to dive into all the decks. So I had fun learning about defense mechanisms and valiance four levels and, you know, what they look like. I, I love working with Dr. Shalom Schwartz on values. Dr. David Best is unbelievable, incredible in terms of his thought process around recovery capital. I got to work with, like I said earlier, Dr. Prashaska De Clemente with Stage of Change. These are people that are started with smoking cessation, and they are, I'm just amazed at how open they are. They're still interested and curious about learning more. I love all the decks. I love emotions and feelings. If I had to pick one that I... I think it had the biggest impact on me in terms of the development of was emotions and feelings. I think it was just a beautiful, the whole emotional regulation process, how it works, 
and how it's so hard for us to tap into and into that idea and express it. Like it's hard to express pain and fear and guilt and shame. That's been a really fun one. I'll just say one thing about that deck that I have loved, and it's in our video, that we come out emotions and feelings from the idea of, you know what? There's no good or bad. They all serve a purpose. So they all do. We come at that from that perspective. And so when people dive into it, they see that there's there's less stigma, that it's okay to feel shame. It's okay to feel guilt. It's okay to feel fear, Right. It's how I regulate that is part of what we're working on, but but they all serve a purpose. And that that I've found from my own learning for myself was was huge. Where do you see your you and your company going from here? What the future holds for you? You know, I don't do this off. I'm gonna do this more around vision. So it's a very simple system. I mean, it is the fundamentals in mental health, substance use, and life skills. I mean, we are staying at the basic level of fundamentals, right? Hey, <laughs> I, I come out of one of the things I did as a kid, I played basketball. And one of the things I, I learned there was station drills, you know, that, you know, we need to have, know how to dribble, you need to how to shoot, pass, all the, I play defense, right? So it's all the fundamentals. Our one's going to stay with fundamental topics in those three buckets. And then what you're going to see is, is it's going to say in self-discovery, and it's going to stay in um, in this beautiful interactive form in multiple modalities, but it's going to be multi-languaged. And it is going to be bringing more access to these topics around the country. You're going to see it around the world. So we are going to, the vision is, is we're going to stay with these very simple topics and we're going to multi-language them. And we're going to be in more, more communities around corrections and criminal justice and high schools and tribal nations because they're all fundamental. And we're going to bring mental health and substance use and life skills into those settings in a very colorful, fun, and interactive way. So people will, you know, can really self-discover who they are and be able to think about the choices that they want to make around their mental health and wellness. We're getting close to the end outside of how people can hear about you, which is my next question. Was there something that you thought I was going to ask, but I didn't, or something that you wanted to cover that we haven't? You know, the only thing I do want to kind of close with is, is you know, as I'm reflecting on what we've just done is, you know, I've spoken a lot about me and my vision and what I'm doing. But the truth is, is R1 Learning has been a really a collaboration with so many people. I thought you might ask, like who who's been supporting you, Tom? And and I, it's a countless group of people. Right now, I, I'm working very closely with a guy by the name of Frank Bomer, who is has been a friend of mine personally. He's come on board. He has expertise in in bring, building online solutions. He is bringing our R one Discover online with with us, and and just masterful in leading that uh, part of where where the business is going. I go back to my wife Pam, who comes out of the APA who has been a coach and an editor for uh, my little company from the get-go, right? And I've got so many people along this path. It's nameless customers, people that we've collaborated with. And, and I'll reiterate, you know, Pete Nelson and Larry Gordine and so many people out there around the uh, Megan Marks at, at ORTC in Oregon, their team. I mean, it is a countless list of people. Doug Levy, uh, who works for Release Recovery, up in New York. He was the first person to buy it. He's, a, he's also a good friend. He bought the first discovery card deck. <laughs> you know, he tells me, hey, Tom, just remember who bought the first deck. 
He did. And my friends and my colleagues and, you know, another person I also wanted to mention was Christina Padilla there with the the CCAF and the NBHAP organization. Christina has been a, an unbelievable friend of R1 Learning. She is pushing us into new areas around some of the topics that we're going we're gonna to be coming out with. And so she has really been a wonderful coach and mentor to our team along the path. And another person I wanted to also mention on the R1 team, in addition to Frank Bomer and Pam Harley, is my actually my art director, who brings the whole learning system visually to life, both on the videos, the card decks, and people at CR1. I want you to see that the person behind that is Corinne Carl, my niece. She's the wife of my oldest brother's youngest son, Patrick Carl. I've been working with Corinne since day one of R1 Learning, and so... I always want to acknowledge the beautiful work that she does in bringing the system to life. When people see R1, I want them to be really clear on it is really, there's a lot of people that have built it. And I am so grateful that I have learned one recovery principle, which is is ask for help. And then the hardest part for people in recovery is to then allow them to help you. And so I have done both and I'm still working on both, but it is beautiful what people want to do when they see something that's fun and, and fun and engaging. Great. And now if someone wants to learn more about you or R1 Learning, how do they hear about me? Where do they go? There you go. Simple, simple. www.r1learning.com. And that's the uh, number one, not one like spelled out. Oh, you're so good. Yes. R1, the number one, learning.com. Uh, we've got a wonderful website that tells you about us. You've got an online store where you can tap into training, you can tap into the products, the tools, the card decks, and you can even tap into R1 Discover. Awesome. Any final thoughts before we do our outro? You're awesome, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, you know, you guys are awesome. You know, I met, you know, you know, I'm, I know the BHAP folks. I know the CCAP folks. I've met you personally. You know, I was just out at the CCAP conference more recently and, you know, the energy of the community out in California with your team and now nationally with NBHAP is just phenomenal. And uh, hats off to your organization. We are very proud and grateful to be friends of, of CCAP and, and NBHAP. So I can't thank you enough from the whole R1 team. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to Destination Change. Our guest today was Tom Carl. Thank you for being here. Our theme song is Sun Nation by Kitsa and used via a Creative Commons license by the Free Music Archive. Please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts so we can get more listeners. In the meantime, you can always see more about the podcast, including show notes and where else to listen on our website, www.nbhap.org. If you have questions for the podcast, please email us at info at Thanks for listening.